HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth-generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The We're here at our mobile studio in beautiful New Orleans, Louisiana for Tales of the Cocktail 2019. Um, I have a great opportunity to sit down and chat with a colleague of mine, Greg Robles from uh, San Francisco, head uh, uh, co-founder, I guess, of Bitter Queens. Co-founder, co-owner, yeah. Yeah, co-founder, co-owner. Just two of you running the whole shop, right? Uh, basically, there's there's two of us that, that own the company, and and we have like help that we we hired we've hired like here in New Orleans and whatnot that kind of like do brand ambassador work and help design products and and. Cocktails for underbeaters and whatnot, but yeah. Outstanding. Listen, kind of the format of the show here is we, we sort of reel clock back a bit uh, for the first segment, and we talk about like what got you to this point, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll come back in the second segment and talk about where you, where you're at and where you're going. So, like, give me your sort of without giving me your CV, give me your kind of history and. You know, were you behind a bar and you were tasting bitters or how did it go? Sure. I mean, this this was like the most organic, like non-prescribed like process in becoming this company. And, and really, um, it. I was not a professional bartender. I come from a music background. I studied music. Um, I always loved the, the cocktail world. Um, I would step behind like friends' bars every so often, um, learned a lot that way, did some catering, et cetera. Um, this process of... of Making Bitter Queens happen was completely by accident. We uh, 
we wanted to make gifts for friends and family for Christmas one year. And this was in 2013, so a long time ago. And, uh, and when we were making these bitters, we thought it'd be a fun idea to just come up with like a fun company name of a look, whatever, you know, something that was kind of like catty and kind of spoke to like who we were and, and what we wanted to do. So when the bitters were like going through the process of the two weeks of maceration, um, I was with um, Kelly, who was one of the co-founders, who's no longer like actively involved in the company, but was a friend that like wanted to like make bitters as a, this fun Christmas project. And we're at this bar called Martini's in San Francisco, and uh, which has like martinis. yeah, exactly Martini's. <laughs> they, they they sell like six ounce mart I mean Martini's. They're they're lethal. You know, you have a couple of them, you're like stumbling out the, out of the the bar. But when we were there, like this one, I'm like, we were, let's think about a name. Like, what's, you know, when we started going back and forth, you know, we were going to have like the name Bitter in it because that's kind of like de facto when you're making bitters, like Man, Bitter Truth. Or, just kind of sidebar yeah. for a second and say how much, <clears throat> sorry, how much that's annoying to me. When I put this stuff in my inventory, when I'm trying to sell people stuff, I have to stand there and even remember myself. Is it Bitter Inn? Bitter Queens? Yeah. Bitter Cube? Is it Bitter Old Men? Is it Bitterman's? Is it, which bitters am I trying to sell this guy? Exactly. Like, I wish you guys would cut that out. Well, I mean. Not every alcohol says alcohol in the that, label. Though? Evan Williams alcohol bourbon. Oh God, that, I mean, can you imagine a world of that? Like, everything's like alcohol bourbon, alcohol rum. Um, but, um, so kind of like my background in Kelly is like we're, 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 we're gay and we live in San Francisco and we were playing in a band with a drag queen at the time named Ethel Merman who's just this amazing like was drag it spelled Merman? Yeah, it was Merman, Merman. absolutely. <laughs> and it was like a band where we're like, you know, playing like rock, I mean like Zeppelin, Hendrix, like heavy stuff and she would basically, he would basically go out and like yeah, all these songs. It was just a spectacle. So we we were always kind of like connected with the drag queen world. And I, I played guitar for a lot of drag queens in San Francisco. So somehow, just magically, when we're there, like three martinis in, we're both wasted. Martinis in. Exactly, three martinis in. And the name it's Bitter... 18 ounces, according to your bag. Absolutely. I mean, that's that, that was like a bottle of gin for each of us, probably. But um, the name Bitter Queens just kind of came... I, I just belted it out. Like first, I got inspired by just being in this drag queen like bar kind of thing, and we both nearly like fell off our stools. Just it was just hilarious. You know, we had no intention of this was going to go anywhere but presence. And then once you have a name, I, you're, you're just, exactly you're just developing like a, a label for sort of yeah, a exactly. Product, so it looks slick as it get to give it. I get it. I totally a- absolutely. And so what happened after that is well, okay, we can't just like put that on like a piece of painter's tape, which is like kind of like how most people are kind of try out their bitters, like write the name of the bitters on the tape, painter's tape, give it out. So I started looking up Google. I literally googled like bitter queen on Google, and the first image I got was Dame Judi Dench. Um, Shakespeare in Love as Queen Elizabeth. This is, and the picture of her was just like sour frown. And it was like, this is perfect. We're, this is our label. We're going to have this bitter queen, Queen Elizabeth, called Bitter Queens. And we did. So we, like, we made all these hand, like printed up labels and we you know, painted them on or whatever. Gave them as Christmas presents. Everybody loved them. They started making cocktails at home. It was great. We got a lot of really positive like feedback from friends like, oh, I really like what you're doing. Um, and then what happened and this is where things just kind of goes off the rails, is like two months, three months later down the line, we started getting phone calls and emails and texts from friends of those families saying like, oh, where can I buy your bitters? It's like, well, you can't buy them. Like, this is just something we... Right, you made it look we, too real. Exactly. We, we just wanted to make something fun. But we've got enough requests that it occurred to me like, well, why the hell? Why don't we like just try like doing this professionally? Because we're getting enough feedback of, of people that really like this product. Let's just do it. So... From there, we went through the whole process of like you know getting the the TTB uh, 
approvals and motherfucker. motherfucker, which is a whole other bucket of worms you can talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you, it's not even worth discussing, but that and like trademarking the name because once we like, oh, we're going to do this, like, well, we, of course we're going to trademark the name because we don't want anybody to steal that. That's gold. Everybody loved the name. I mean, frankly, kind of lucky yeah. that no one had it. Like I'm just chosen I'm as a gift, so you didn't have to think about trademark. I was absolutely surprised when I went to like the trademark webpage and I'm like looking it up, like it's please don't anybody have Bitter Queens and nobody had it and like I don't care how much this costs, it was like a couple thousand dollars or whatever to trademark a name, but that's that's gold. Mm -hmm. Because what I've noticed is people like the product but they love the whimsy that we're you know, we we have this funny name and we kind of run with it and we're not, we don't look like a typical bitters company. You know, we don't have the apothecary look, the kind of stuff that like you would expect from bitters. Um, we basically just wanted to have fun with the name and that is pretty much what sells us like automatically. Um, so we, anyway, we got all our kind of like ducks in a row. We got the TTB approvals. We started making some um, very, our first flavors that we really kind of made that were just our own were our Chinese Five Spice and our sarsaparilla. Love them both. Thank you. Um, the sarsaparilla was like something that, that for me was evocative of like growing up in the summertime in San Francisco as a kid. You're drinking root beer on a hot summer day. Mm -hmm. um, that to me was like a, a no-brainer. We had to do that. And the five spice was, well, we're going to um, adopt, you know, the, the, the Chinese flavors that are in, all over San Francisco. And I think that's a big part of like what we do is trying to find flavors and um, expressions that really kind of speak to us growing up in the Bay Area. So we um, we started doing uh, those bitters. We entered them in a contest at the Oakland uh, Eat Real Festival, and we won uh, best bitters product and best overall spirit. And oh, shit. yeah, Your first outing. our first outing. And so you know, we, when we started getting like feedback from people that didn't have to say anything positive about us. If they hated us, they would say, like, we hate you. Or we didn't have to win if we weren't any good. Like we said, these weren't your friends and pals. Exactly. Yeah. your ego or yeah. being nice. Yeah. These were, these were professionals who were giving you an honest opinion. Yeah. In a, in a competition, so. And once we got that kind of feedback, it just kind of helped us realize, like, we're, we're onto something. We're right, doing what something. What are you doing? You're, you're playing guitar? Is that how you're making, making your living? No. So at this time, I was working for a big software company that also made music software. It's called Avid Digidesign. We made a software called Pro Tools, which is, like, the big recording so software that pretty much everybody uses in film and, and, sure. and whatever. And that was, like, my first, like, big boy job out of college. And um, But I was kind of checked out at that point with that company. Just because we had gone through like turnovers, we'd been acquired by a large organization that really didn't care about the people's individuals anymore. You know, the company that I really loved, where you know it was like all on a pirate ship as musicians, like testing software, which was really cool, went to like very corporate button down. Mm -hmm. And right when um, we, the Bitter Queens kind of started in 2013, was uh, it just kind of you know I was only doing it part time. And it wasn't until 2016 when I finally, after eight rounds of layoffs, my number was up and I got laid off. Oh, um, oh sorry. Um, and so 2016, um, I got laid off and it just kind of filtered and fit right into, well, I want to do this Bitter Queens thing full time. And it just it, kind of, it couldn't, it, just, have it couldn't have been better. Like I was like, I was ready to go. I, I had enough severance where I had like some spatting. Exactly. And 2016 was the first year we got our first distributor, so it just kind of worked out. Where were you doing? Was this all out of your home kitchen still, or? 
Initially, yeah, um, it was home kitchen. Starts. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and then we went to an incubator kitchen in uh, the Mission in San Francisco called uh, La Cocina, which uh, was basically established to um, be a, a just a, a kitchen that that like Latino and Latinas could like basically like make their food and sell it and have like a way for them to to um, grow their business. And we happened to get. Uh, in there, and so we started doing that at the kitchen, and then we had a warehouse, and we just started like building everything as we needed to. Um, you know, once once you like start selling to a distributor, you need like the professional kitchen, you need the warehouse for bottling and, and storing everything, and so we just kind of went from there. And now we're like 2019, and we're distributed throughout the country, country and Europe, and yeah, we just got a, a, a importer Park Street in Europe. Um, yeah back in Berlin uh, last year or so. Outstanding, man. Yeah. So like, talk to me a little bit more about like that, those beginning days, that first distributor, how much was he asking for? Five cases, I just need five cases. Uh, well, and, you know, was, uh, the first distributor we got was here in New Orleans, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, one of our, uh, our, our, par our partners, he works for us, Jason Sorbet, he's a great bartender here in the city. He was the bar manager at 21st Amendment um, for a long time, now he's barrel proof and uh, does some other things, but um, he basically set us up with his distributor. He they were buying cases about from us just directly mm -hmm. for the longest time because they had us like our whole line like on every single cocktail menu. They really just enjoyed our product and were really just like excited about like using these, these bitters. And he basically said, "I'm just tired of like having to like go through you. I'd rather like not that I we were like it, it was more like I I think you guys could be bigger if you had a distributor." Yeah. And so he set us up with this. Me coming to you is one thing. Exactly. If you're a distributor, other people will see you. Yeah. So. Basically, I, I was, it was 2016, it was about this time of year. It's actually three years ago was the, the Tales of the Cocktail 2016. I went to 21st Amendment. Uh, the sales rep that we work with, DT, uh, Dave Travis was there, and he got us on the call with the owner of International, and it was really just like, hey, the owner was like, we like your stuff, we wanna have an arrangement, let's do this. It was, it was, it was like, basically like a handshake. There was no paperwork involved. There's still no paperwork. We just kind of made it happen. And from there, we, uh, we just, you know, we, it sprung, it was so amazing. They bought, um, 10 cases of everything. So that was 70 cases for us was like a wow. great big first sale. Is that like a gut wrench or did you like, oh shit, we got to make 70 cases? Well, yeah, I mean, sure there was definitely, I was, there was, I was cases, right? definitely nervous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and still like we, we keep our, our inventory pretty lean just because we don't have a lot of space. So, um, yeah, it was like, okay, they need this in like three weeks or whatever. So I just cranked it out and got it. I mean, I, I, you know, the things you learn when you start a business like this, you don't, you don't know like how like even things like shipments and, and the, the truck that comes and picks you up like I didn't know I had to put it on a pallet I just like had like loose boxes <laughs> yeah so like they you know it, 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 like you're from the moon. oh he, he they were they He's were like, I got my forklift where's the pallet oh yeah they were pissed anyway it was like this couple that the older couple they were probably like in their 60s and they would just like do the the, the pickups for for New Orleans and whatnot but um, they didn't want to be in San Francisco driving because with the truck because they get charged extra for the axles and all the bridges and all this kind of stuff. So they were already in a bad mood when I showed up with like just empty bo loose boxes of just like you know our product. And they're like, "Well, where's this?" And we're, okay, well, I'll, I'll just put this in the truck, I guess. And they're like, "Where's the bill of lading?" I'm like, "What's the bill of lading?" I had no idea what a bill of lading was. I had no idea. I had to like you know have something that they, they signed. Like nobody tells you this stuff. It's it's, it's kind of the the fun and exasperating part of being, you know, an entrepreneur, starting a business, is that you, 
no one, there's no like resource like, oh, I want to make bitters. Okay, well, what do I have to do X, Y, or Z? You just kind of like learn as you go and you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. And so now, you know, it's like, okay, I got everything on pallets when people come and pick it up and I have bill of ladings and blah, blah, everything's like hunky-dory so far. But um, that was really exciting to, to, to really to, to have a, like a, a big distributor in New Orleans, a, a city which I extremely respect for what they've, they've brought in the cocktail world and um, just that they embraced us and, and you know, picked us up. It was really exciting. Yeah, that's got to be a super exciting yeah. thing. You, you finally see your thing come to fruition to, in a way that's tangible and, yeah. and, and hopefully fruitful. Yeah. This is a great place to take a break. We'll uh, come back in just a second with more from Greg Robles of uh, Bitter Queens uh, out of San Francisco. Stay tuned. All right. My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth-generation hog farmer, and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever and are only fed a high-quality, 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Allison Kane, and I'm the host of In the Sauce here on HRN. Now that I'm expanding my cooking school to a sauce line in grocery stores, I need all the help I can get. And I want to help other entrepreneurs build their brands too. You can find In the Sauce wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. Uh, we're here in New Orleans, Louisiana, at Tales of the Cocktail 2019. I'm hanging out with my good buddy Greg Robles of Bitter Queens um, uh, Bitters out of San Francisco. Uh, I'm about to crack open a little bit of bourbon for us to drink while we keep talking about. I mean, we're in New Orleans. We kind of, it's, it's... We kind of left off on entrepreneurship, yeah. or we're getting into entrepreneurship. You want to maybe keep talking about that or finish up, and, and then we can talk about other things as well. Yeah, sure. Here's um, some delicious Evan Williams bourbon for you. Oh, wonderful. This is early uh, in the day, bre- Breakfast of Champions. It's, 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 new, after, it's noon somewhere. It's a little after 11 in the morning yeah. in New Orleans. We both had a pretty long couple Cheers. of days. Yeah. Good to see you, bud. Good to see you, too. Mm. Mm. Uh, for breakfast, whiskey and cornflakes really is, is would be like perfect right now. <laughs> any, any cereal grain, I'll take it. Oh yeah, exactly. Like liquid form, grains. solid, solid form. I like the we, we can make it happen. Yeah, as long as it's not vapor. I don't think I'm I'm ever gonna like catch on to like this whole like 
vaping alcohol. Yeah, have you seen? Have you seen this? I've seen it. I'm not into it. I was in. Also seen alcohol. You know what that is? No. What is that? Powdered alcohol. Just add water. <laughs> uh, so you get powdered tequila and add I, water. I have a feeling people are not going to add water and like ingest that in some other form. Maybe uh, like you know. That's the, the big fear. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I remember it was at the the Vegas uh, nightclub and bar show a couple of years ago. Uh, we attended, and like one room was just nothing but like the vaporized alcohol. And like, what? I just don't understand. Like, what is wrong with this world? Isn't it better just like sip it, drink it, enjoy it? Man, for me it is. I don't understand yeah. people who don't. I, I don't know. You know, there's a whole bunch of. I love innovation, of course, um, and I love uh, experimentation as well, but. Man, when push comes to shove, in the end, I just kind of want a drink, you know. Uh, like I don't need. To I, I don't need fancy. I just like infused or a nice, a nice bourbon and a uh, cheap beer, and I'm I'm good to go. Yeah, it can be repeated easily. That's what I mostly. Oh yeah. I can do it myself later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you can you can open a bottle, you can pour it, you can crack open a beer, you can pour it, and we're good to go. A couple dashes of bitters, and we're good to go. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's I mean, that's the bitters. Good to the last drop. So um, you, you're, you, you've now learned the bill of lading. You've learned you've learned yeah. how to pallet wrap and uh, uh, pallet yes. stack and plastic wrap. I'm oh sure. yeah, I, I do it all. It's yeah. you know being an owner of a company is, is not all that glamorous I mean, all the time. Point, you have, you have, are you still at the incubator kitchen or you have your own facility? Uh, well, yeah, we're still at the incubator kitchen and uh, our, our little warehouse in San Francisco. Um, it it kind of leads into like how we need to grow is basically we need to, to find an area that's a little bit less expensive than San Francisco. Um, you know, when you're paying like a thousand dollars a month for like a 13 by 13 warehouse space, it's a little crazy. Um, right. we're, we're looking at potentially moving the business here to New Orleans. Mm. Um, just because I ha you have just, it's, it's more affordable. Your, your money goes a lot further and the support system I have here is amazing with, with the bartenders that just want to like come and work and you know help label and help bottle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a little more centrally located. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literal port of call, so yeah. there's plenty of like, shipping options. Yeah, and like, you know, San Francisco is, is great. I mean, that's where I grew up. That's my home. That's my heart. But like, I, I really have found that like, lately, like, this is where I want to be. Um, and it does make more sense from like just a central position. I can get, you know, our, our shipments to Chicago or San Francisco, New York, it's like, it's much, makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff like you have to think of like as your business grows, we're, we're literally at this point where we, we're selling a lot of product, but you can only sell so much if you can only put so much like in the warehouse and store so much. Right. If you don't have the physical space to like have stuff on hand, how do you meet orders? And the last yeah, thing, you need to scale up. exactly. The last thing we want to do is be in a position where, well, it'd be, fulfill. exactly. It'd be great if like everybody wants our product, but if you can't like meet the needs, Listen, you're, man, nobody, you're, exactly. Nobody likes, uh, I'll mind it, right? Nobody likes looking at an invoice that says OOS. No, absolutely. Outdoor stock is not good for me. No, absolutely. So I it, that means I thought in good faith it was coming and I needed it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. And I get I get that it's a very smart business practice to, especially in our field, right, to, to, to not necessarily grow as fast as as the growth wants to go. You have yeah. to put the brakes on sometimes and say to yourself, we're not ready to make that leap because we won't be able to fulfill. Oh, absolutely. To the world to get a warehouse and then we can be able to fulfill, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about like how the company started very organically and we, we did things at a pace that felt right and we still do things at a pace that feels right. Um, but that also, you know, if you don't have the space or the ability to scale up, you know, you can only grow a business so far. And, you know, bidders, when it comes to like, you know, just like revenue, um, 
if you know we're not like if a bar buys our, our bitters you know if they may go through like a bottle of tobacco bitters over like three weeks a month two months you have to sell a lot of product to like you know make the bottom line work yeah you know, you know? Dale DeGroff makes his bitters and he said to me I don't know what I was thinking making a product that I sell by the drop instead of by the ounce <laughs> you know that's the first thing he said to me when uh, he tried our tobacco bitters I think three or four years ago here at Tales and um he basically said, why do you even want to be in this business? You're selling stuff by the drop. And, and yeah, so t for us to be profitable, we have to be able to have a space where we can make more products, so we can sell more products so that we are in more hands. It's, it's not a question of, oh, we have these great bars that buy our, our product, but if they're not buying in volume over and over again, because you just don't go through that much product over the course of a few months. So right. really, to have a profitable business for bidders, you have to be in a lot of people's hands. I mean, that's how we sort of flip the difference at Morning Margo, which yeah. is we, you know, we obviously, every single drink that goes out of our bar has bitters in it. Yeah. Uh, every single drink on our menu, of course, has bitters in it, and we sell plenty of those. Mm -hmm. So, and then we sell retail. Right. Right. So, if your drink, sorry, if your bitters, bitters queens, bitter queens, which is, uh, uh, you know, if your bitters gets into one of our drinks, then we will be slamming through it, because not only do we make drinks yeah. with it at high pace, we have it on the shelf for retail when people have a drink typically they're like what bitters was in this I really liked it and then they turn around and pick the bottle too so there's where you like start to win for sure I mean if we're on a cocktail menu at a bar like and they're using like our Thai spice for whatever like we will have depletions through them constantly they're, they're tearing through it but if you're not on the menu you're just kind of like oh they want like a set of your bitters for X, Y, or Z um, you're not you know you can't sell through as much so uh, yeah, right. And so, I mean, how are you like advocating for your brand? Uh, you know, like there are brand ambassadors for you know for, for the bourbon that we're drinking right now. Yeah. Um, that go out and like encourage and, and uh, empower by education. Sure. Right. Uh, are you at a place where you can? Because I don't think a lot of bitters companies do that. You no. Know, they send me the one sheet. I yeah. They send that same one sheet to wherever stores that they're retailing at. Right. Right. So I've got like a, a paragraph or two about each one, but. Do you have anybody who's out there on the ground, like going to places and saying, "Hey, I see you have my bitters," like like a, a brand rep would, and saying, "Hey, can you make me drink using?" Absolutely, um, we we do have uh, a global ambassador. We have it's our Jason Zorbay, who works at Barrel Proof, who is the guy that brought us in from Twenty First Amendment, who got us our first distribution. He's part of our family now and um, advocates for us throughout New Orleans when I'm not here. Mm -hmm. um, for me, though, I mean, I you know. I have to do a lot of this kind of like, and this is the part of the job I actually like. I like meeting with different bartenders, different retail outlets and talking to them and, and basically advocating and like explaining to them or showing them our bitters and our products. Um, so like I'll go to Chicago with, with our distributor and we'll do like sales visits and that's really great. Um, but I, th I think like ideally we would love to have more ambassadors because that's how you get people like trying your product is you've got to have someone who's educated on the product and is, loves it and explain to people why they should use it, how they should use it, especially with like some of our like more, more random weirder bitters like the eucalyptus, yeah. which is, which is great. But the average consumer doesn't know. No, they, exactly. It's like, well, this just like, is fu this soap? is funky. Yeah, exactly. Um, isn't that in my soap? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I so, <laughs> yeah, even like the Thai spice, which I think is great in like margaritas and, and cosmos and that kind of stuff because it's got the spice and, and the citrus, like people like that don't know how to use bitters or, or, you know, the home user or even like some bartenders like, well, how would I even 
you know, put this in a cocktail. Um, so advocacy and ambassadorial um, work is, is, is obviously key. Um, thankfully, like the sales teams we have with our uh, like West Coast distributor package, they're really great about just being aggressive and like putting our stuff in front of people. Um, Chicago, we have a great sales team at Momentum. They are very like they we're they're, we're their first there's company that they brought on to the portfolio, and so they, you know, put us in front of every bar, restaurant, um, retail outlet they can. So. I think it's a benefit of having a distributor that's, that, that is um, focused on small artisanal companies yep. um, because it, sa- it saves us the, the back end for like having to like hire people to go and do that. Though ideally, um, you know, once we, you know, as we grow and this is another part of like the organic kind of growth that we have, as we bring more members on the team, we'll be able to like hire more ambassadors to do yeah. this kind of stuff of or just, I would just love to be able to hire people to, you know, because I'm I do most of the work, I, I, the bottling, the labeling, the production. Ideally, we'll we'll grow to a part where I can I can have confidence in, in having people that are making this product, so that I can be act as CEO and act as the face of the company and do the face to face and yeah, I mean, you know, there's that, there's yeah. That old saying that I've become accustomed to lately, which is um, uh, every hour that I'm spending doing something that someone else could do is an hour I'm not spending doing something only I can do. Yeah. So you got to learn where that line is, especially in a business like this that's in a growth spurt. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, and not to say that I don't love doing all the grunt work. I, I love being, I'm a hands-on guy. I want to be making the product, but I do know that for us to grow, like I need to like hand that off to somebody else so yep. that I can, you know, ex- expand. Be there, exactly. Quality check yeah, the last, totally. You know, the last guard of the, of the product before it goes through, you know, but you got to get to a place where you can, you know, get out there and promote yeah. the be that ambassador yourself or hire those ambassadors or, or, or you know even, uh, even old school like advertisement are you doing advertisements and things like uh, in by magazine or uh, no I mean you know I found that like most of our you know uh, the success we had has been word of mouth um, social media Instagram Facebook the kind of the, the typical subjects but our growth really started when people started telling other people about our products, like bartenders, at, like in Sacramento or San Francisco, would be like, "Oh, we we, we had to talk to their friends at like US BG, you know, events. Like, oh, have you tried this?" Um, so we've been very fortunate. The word of mouth has been what has sold us a lot. But I, I do know that, like, for us to really expand, we we're going to have to do like advertisements and talking about like a YouTube channel, um, that kind of stuff. Um, having a little fun with like the, the, the brand um, of doing, you know, basically like drag queens kind of like at the different roles of the different bitters that we have, because as you know, and maybe the listeners don't know that all of our bitters have a different, not just flavor profile, but a different name. So that was part of like, you know, coming back to like how we branded ourselves and, and trying to separate ourselves from like the existing bitters companies. We don't just make a sarsaparilla bitters. We call her Sassy Sally. She's a, a wild west 1840s gold, gold, you know, gold um, enforcer. Uh, Shanghai Shirley is from Chinatown. Um, Marie Laveau, our tobacco bitters, is our a love letter to New Orleans. Yeah. So that's something that we want to start emphasizing is creating these characters and having some fun and you know, just, just using that as a way to, to expand our brand and, and, and show that we can have yeah, fun. see a party on the horizon where these oh, characters yeah. are lifelike and walking around and, and you get, to, you know, maybe some partnerships with some spirit brands and, and make drinks with your bitters I mean, and these characters in the room. Absolutely. I mean, my goal someday is, is to, like, come to Tales and have, like, my entourage of all the seven queens just, like, walking around and, you know, we, we don't need booth babes. We need booth drag queens, really, is what we need. Just, you know, because that'd be... You know, fun. So uh, you're an advocate for the LGBTQ community. 
um, and you are using these bidders to sort of promote that in a very subtle way, it seems. Are you doing anything that's a little bit more like face forward and saying like, hey, we're here? Well, it's, what's interesting is that um, this is something we, we kind of wrestled with initially because we knew that in throughout the U.S. there are certain like metropolitan areas that are going to embrace us if we, you know, because we're, we're queer. It's, it's not going to be an issue. It's not going to like kill sales. But we, we wrestled with like how much do we want to promote our queerness on the product? Is that going to keep us from growing? Is that going to be you know, an impediment in, in places that maybe don't support the gay community? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are you know, countries in Europe that are more like, open to like, accepting of like, a gay brand than a non-gay brand. So for a while, we were just like kind of making making it more like tongue in cheek. Uh, we weren't really promote. You know, if you go to the website, you can read like our bio. It says like we're a queer owned company. But on the bottles, for a while, we just weren't really promoting that. And it wasn't until um, the Las Vegas uh, bar show uh, two years ago that Jason uh, from Barrel Proof was saying like, listen, and he's he's straight and he's a great advocate for the queer community. And he was the one that said, like, you should put something on the labels that says, like, LGBT owned or operated. And so I'm like, yeah, I think we should do that. We should, like, let people know that this is our identity. This is who we are. And uh, we need to advocate and, and, and give, a cha- give a channel or um, basically, like, let people that are in this industry, the bar industry, the spirits industry, know that there are others like them out here that are queer and proud of their brand and proud of who they are. So our new labels now have an LGBT symbol on the back and a rainbow kind of symbol around it, which is, as far as I know, we're the only brand that really like for any kind of spirit that says like we are LGBT owned and this is like how we identify ourselves. Um, I think for us, it's important to, like I said, like let other people that are like uh, queer and in the industry know that it's, you can be yourself, you can be open you can express yourself as you are and still be in this industry. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of like our plan of attack that we've done yet recently. And I think it's great. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, I think the cocktail community at, at, at large is accepting to, you know, all comers, right? Right. And I know that maybe bar community at large may not be that. I think there might be some bars out there that would be less inclined. I, I, I think it depends on... community, which is who you're yeah, exactly. targeting. Yeah, exactly. With bidders, uh, it's pretty open. I think it depends on on the geography, but like what I've noticed is, in in the bar community, um, generally speaking, like whether you're gay or straight or whoever you are, it at the end of the night it doesn't matter how you identify because getting through like a shift at a bar is like you're on a pirate ship and you just like everyone's just trying to survive through the night. So like you're who you, who you want to go home with or sleep with at the end of the night really isn't doesn't matter as long as you're getting your shit done. You're part of the family, and and that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, that's not to say that's the way, it, like in every city or every part of the U.S. There's definitely places where we're probably not going to sell. Well, we sell in Arkansas every once in a while, so you know, there's probably a couple of you know queens in in Arkansas that are buying our tobacco bitters, but. Um, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you're making a tasty product, and, and, and if someone wants a tasty product, then they're going to buy it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it really comes down to 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 the quality of the product. And I don't think people are going to have to check their morality at the door to be like, I need this delicious thing no. in my cocktail. And who knows? Maybe like some some place in some state that where it's not okay to be openly gay. Mm-hmm. 
someone's going to buy our bitters and, and be able to relate. It's like, oh, there's someone like me that makes a product that I really like. And I'm a bartender. I'm a queer bartender at like a straight bar in like some part of the Midwest. And I can't ever be myself, but at least they know when they use our product that, oh, hey, there are other people like me out there. Right. And I think that's comforting. Like, yeah, to that person that's a, sort of a life raft and to you that's sort of a beacon. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's amazing. Um, really, really quality, quality stuff that you're making and really quality uh, you know, ethos and impact that I'm hopeful that you'll, you'll have after that. Um, tell me about your time in New Orleans this year. What are you doing? Uh, so this year, um, so last year actually, we should talk about. Uh, we actually yeah. uh, sponsored oh, yeah, and held our first, the first ever like Sanctioned. tales sanctioned queer event. Uh, it was called uh, Tales of the Tea Dance. That's right. And uh, it I, was. I, I yeah. Promoted it last yeah, year. Yeah, you promoted it last year. It was great. Yep. Um, I didn't get to attend, but I promoted it. How did it go? Talk about that a little bit first. Well, it it went. I mean, I don't want to say better than expected, but it went really super well. I'm was very nervous about having that, that kind of like pressure. pressure because like this is if you're gonna like come out and like have like an officially sanctioned LGBT event it, for the new tales of the cocktail organization which really is is more about inclusiveness mm -hmm. and celebrating diversity than it has ever been. Yeah. I think they did a really great job with the new team of like m you know supporting like us and other kind of uh, diverse diversity uh, issues and uh, events. But uh, it was a lot of pressure. I, I definitely was nervous, and and what you know, I'm like a, an organizer in San Francisco, coming from a software world. Like you know, I was I wanted like everything done like at, at the right time. And people in New Orleans love this city. Like everyone's a little I'm bit more, ten. yeah, exactly, much more laid back. So <laughs> that was definitely something that like was was making me really super frustrated in a way because like Every I'm hour here is absolutely. Um, but that's not, I mean, I had a great team that helped me like plan this one because I was still mainly in San Francisco at the time and just kind of coming here for events and whatnot. But the event went really great. We raised 2000 bucks for a local charity. Um, and that was, you know, from just ticket sales and from the raffle that we had, the, the donations we had were amazing. We had like hotel stays from the Ace Hotel and the Catahoula, uh, restaurants, bars. We got a wonderful wig from Fifi Mahoney's that was custom made just for us. It was a big rainbow thing. The problem, I mean, when they sell those wigs, they're like 150, 200 bucks and they just donated that just for our event. Um, so it was a wonderful, um, just experience. I mean, experience. when you're engaged and enthusiastic, you know, yeah. you want to get on board. And I think you well, are. Well, and, and, and what helps too is that the, the community here is, is so behind it, whether it's like, you know, straight bartenders or gay bartenders or trans bartenders or whatever, everyone was behind this and supporting this. So we had a lot of support from like great people that are friends of mine, that are people I, I, that I have now have better friendships with or new friendships with because of their um, promotion of this event and, and their contributing to the event. So that was great. We. Um, like I said, we made a lot of money for a local charity, Breakout NOLA. It's fantastic. Um, this year, we just weren't able to like pull together the, the same um, sponsors that we wanted. Uh, we, we made a specific choice last year to, to, uh, to, to highlight uh, queer-owned businesses like mm -hmm. Backward Distillery in Wyoming uh, that does wonderful vodka and uh, bourbon and whatnot. They're, they're, they were the first, like, it's a lesbian couple uh, mm -hmm. that started the first queer-owned distillery in Wyoming, which is huge, considering like Wyoming has had like a history of some really bad, you know, shit going down with, uh, sure. you know, LGBT. We had uh, another um, women and uh, queer-owned uh, uh, 
uh, distillery in Washington D.C. called Republic Restoratives that, that, that support us, and uh, still Austin, which is the first like distillery in Austin, and uh, they unfortunately like they're all like growing in other ways. They couldn't come and support, and I didn't want to do this without like having them involved. So this year we didn't do an event. We're going to do it next year instead. Um, it's still going to be like called Tales of the Tea Dance, but it's going to be uh, surnamed Wigs in the Water. It's going to be drag queens and swimming pool. Um, you know, because you, it, the dance party last year was fun, but people don't really want to dance in like 90 degree weather outside, I found. So I think a pool party with like some drag queens and uh, some other events for next year will be just what we're looking for. So, yeah. Uh, what are you going to do while you're here this year then? Um, just, I'm doing a seminar actually right after this. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's the first LGBT seminar actually at Tales. Oh yeah, you're a pioneer in every way. Yeah, I mean this is, um, I'm, I'm unfortunately not a part of this, but uh, there are some wonderful bartenders and uh, spirits owners. Uh, Republic Restoratives has their um, director of sales speaking. Um, I have a good friend from uh, uh, Cut Sparrow and that whole Houston um, industry. Uh, Alex McGranza. Yeah, Alex McGranza is speaking, yeah. I actually helped him, I convinced him he should wear heels, and so he's like, he's wearing his heels for this, so that's great. Um, my friend Simone Mims from San Francisco is also um, going to speak, and so they're basically they're going to talk to a bunch of, a room full of people that maybe don't know the history of, of gay bars. Or don't have you know they may have heard of Stonewall but don't really know like the history of Stonewall. Yeah. And well, this is the year to get that. Shit yeah, out. actually, and they're going to talk about their coming out story. So it's going to be a really great like over this like overarching just conversation about being queer in this industry, how what their stories are, and you know how they feel about just the bar industry in general. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be my big highlight like a seminar today, and then. What's the seminar called? Huh? Um, I don't. It's, like, it's just like it's, it's yes. Yeah, it's if you look up, if you, you look up on the Tales website, the LGBT today at twelve thirty, they still have tickets available. If you're listening around, you should check it out. Um, so that's kind of like my my big thing, and then mostly just like networking and catching up with people. Because like last year, I was so focused on the party that I didn't have a time to like catch up with anybody. Yeah. Until the party was done, and then once that was done, it was like I just want to sleep. I don't want to like. Do sure anything, you, yeah. You offloaded a lot of energy into that, and then when oh, you yeah. were finally done, you were probably spent. I was, I was, I was absolutely done, and then I got a, a flu like after that. So I like, you know, yeah, you know, that's how it works. Everybody, yeah, everybody holds it together, and, and then you put it through a lot of paces, and then suddenly it's oh yeah. I, mean, I, I, I typically get like a cold like when I come here for the summer. It's, 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 it's you know, you're sweating outside all day, and then you're in an air conditioned room back and forth and just like my immune system falls apart which I think happens to a lot of people when they it come here in the summer you know? I, mean, I, I lived here for three years and that's common even with locals yeah uh, when summer hits and that AC is cranking everywhere and you're in and out and oh yeah it's, it's, it's crazy degree difference between going inside and going outside I mean the AC feels awesome don't get me wrong I mean I would not want to live here if I didn't have AC but but yeah, I mean, sweating outside, it's back in, yeah, right? absolutely. It's 90 degrees out, the AC probably should be 70. Yeah. 20 degree difference is okay, but the AC is uh, like 65. My, my, house, is 105. my house here feels like a tomb. I have like 60 degrees, like all summer long. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, you're, you, so you have a house here already. Yeah. So the plan is, is, is coming together. You're coming to New Orleans. Yeah, all my so so all my stuff is here. I, I took the, a U-Haul cross country. First time I've done like a cross country trip. Um, in Mar in May, all my stuff that like I wanted at this house, like my house in San Francisco is, is pathetic right now. I have like one couch, the TV, and a router, and that's it. like everything else is gone. I, right. I feel like I'm I'm like uh, like Vagabond. exactly like I like I feel like I've like moved into someone's apartment that's not mine. Um, so here everything I, I everything is here. Um, I just have to like figure out 
where I'm going to produce because I can't really commit to like, oh, I'm here if I'm, you know, I need to be able to make product and get out to distributors. So that's kind of the, the next round of focus for me, um, like end, end of August through September and October is just find where we're going to, where we're going to do, where we're going to make our stuff. Yeah. Um, does that mean there's going to be a skip in production or you've got enough stuff to? Yeah. I mean, that's been my focus, like since basically May is just getting everything in the warehouse and having products so that there's no skip so that I can just, you know, have like a couple months to be able to just, you know, have a, a friend or who, whoever is working for me at the time, go to the warehouse, like set orders up, get the shipments ready and not have to worry about making any product. So been working really long hours, making sure that I have a lot of products on hand. And now we have three different SKUs with our little variety packs, our five ounce bottles, and then the European bottles, which is a whole different issue, which is, yeah, you know, the bottling thing from European to it's, American is so ludicrous. Well, yeah, I mean, we, they, it's like they won't accept a 148 mil five ounce bottle. So like now we have to have like, oh, 200 like cases of like a hundred mil bottles and blah, blah. So it's nerve wracking. Yeah. I love that little gift set. Uh, selling quite a few of those at the bar and more market. Oh, cool. Yeah. We've been wanting to do that for a while. Um, just you know to, what? I'm going to tell you, just a little side note for you as a business, maybe help you. Yeah. Um, for me, anyway, in New York City, so many people that come through me are tourists, meaning they're not here, they're flying away. Yeah. They look at all the bottles that I have and then they, 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 they gravitate towards the little bottles because they can take them on the plane. Yeah. So those gift packs are a lifesaver for us and, and, and probably a moneymaker for you. Not yeah. Those gift packs that I use from you know you or Scrappies or whoever all that I have them from. Kyle Punk makes one. Um, like, I'll ask them, are you flying? Yes. Are you checking bag? No. I say, well, look at these. Yeah, absolutely. Like, stop looking at all the ones you're not going to buy. It's, it's, we sell a lot here at the Bitters Market in, in, in Tails when we, yeah. so the, you so know. It gains us yeah, a sale that absolutely. we probably lose. Yeah. And it probably gains you some sales in that way. So I know it's more expensive to put together, but. I mean, this is a little bit more than like a, a regular like five ounce bottle, but I, I think also it's, it's pr it makes it the bitters more approachable, especially for people that maybe just have a home bar but don't want to commit to like a full bottle of yeah. tobacco or chocolate. It's like, oh, I'd rather just have like an experiment and then, oh, I like this. I can now buy a five ounce bottle because I know that I, what I'm I can use. Exactly. Work it into your own routine. Man, it's been great chatting with you um, here at Tales of the Cocktail 2019. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you got to run right now to go to this. Thank seminar. you. Are you yeah. moderating or are you speaking? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just attending. Oh, you just Yeah, running. yeah. I'm just going to support. Support the Queens, yeah. Outstanding. Good yeah. for you. Um, well, thanks again for sitting down and talking to us. How, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, can they? If they want to get your bitters, they want to get a hold of you personally or whatever. Uh, the website is... you a, want them to get in touch Well, the website is... Well, yeah. Here's my personal phone number. Uh, <laughs> the, the website is www.thebitterqueens.com. You can order any of our products online. Um, and there's you can contact us via the, the contact us link. Really easy. We're on Instagram, at The Bitter Queens. Facebook, The Bitter Queens. So, Yeah. Outstanding. So plenty of ways for the consumer to get a hold of you, plenty of ways for distributors and, and businesses like me to get a hold of you. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, everybody get out there and try some Bitter Queens uh, bitters. My favorite one is the eucalyptus. Second favorite for me, I think, is the, I don't know the, I don't know the cheeky name for it, but it's the walnut black, uh, walnut chocolate. Oh, the Joker Judy? Joker Judy. Yeah, that, that, that was actually designed for my mom. Um, we lost her two years ago. Sorry to hear that. Uh, thank you. And uh, my sister suggested, actually, you should make a bitters to commemorate mom. Mom was not a drinker, but she loved chocolate candy. Uh, there's a company in, in the Bay Area called Seas Candy. You probably Love know Seas, Seas Candy, Candy, right? So, Everybody knows Seas yeah, Candy. Yeah, her favorite chocolate was the chocolate walnut square. So it was just a natural, like, let's just try to, like, liquefy that and make that into a bitters. And so... It is um, delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
Well, here's to Joker and Judy. Uh, thank you for joining me on Speakeasy, brother. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>